0: What's going on ladies and gentlemen Tyson Popplestone here with the relaxed running podcast today We've got the Aussie 10k record holder Paddy Tiernan on the show I was so pumped to do this episode mainly because I wanted to clear up an awkward situation that happened a few years ago When I'm not sure I was but I think I was flirting with him in a London cafe He was sitting with two girls. I was excited to see him because I'd never met him before I was watching him just dominate the international track scene that year, and uh, I was I was fairly forward. I was fairly forward. I wanted to clarify that all was okay between us in this podcast because I'm not sure I did any, did him any favors with the girls that he was with. However, I'll ask him about that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I was trying to be cool, and it and it flopped. I saw Paddy T and I panicked. So. We, cut, we clarify that today. Uh, this guy's a, guy a gun. Um, I, I sat down with him and asked him questions about training and about racing and injury and hobbies and like whatever else you could possibly want to know about this guy. So it was a really fun conversation. Hey, how's this for a session? The morning that we recorded this, he did 20 by 400 meters, starting at 64, working his way down uh, by one second every 400 meters. So I think they were doing it like him and, uh, what's his name? Oh, Ben Blakenship. Yeah, that's right. Ben Blakenship with the lovely uh, brunette locks uh, finished at like 59 seconds for those four hundred, which is just a disgusting session. Anyway, uh, we talk about that as well. It was a really good chance to, to pick his brain. I watched him run the night that Stewie McSwain broke the Australian record here in Melbourne. And I remember thinking, all right, get Paddy Tiernan in the right race. And I reckon that Aussie record could go. So I'm glad that my little prediction was on track I also reckon he's got uh, got some big time up his sleeve to take off. So I, I, I sort of put that to him and ask him his thoughts on that. Really good conversation with a really good bloke. Hey, he's a super relaxed kind of character. he's, uh, he's just got that cool vibe going on. So I, I think you're going to enjoy this one. This episode is, once again, welcome back to our sponsor, Rundies Undies Athletic Underwear. I'm a massive fan of that. Now, if you've been around for a while, you're going to know I'm a massive fan of these undies. If you haven't tried them yet, Go to rundies.com.au. They're the most comfortable running undies that you'll ever run in. I'm not kidding. I know they're a sponsor, but they're a sponsor because I love them. I've got about eight pairs of their undies in my drawer. And last night got in trouble because I came out trying to be funny to my wife and I was wearing her Rundies sports bra, which she loves. And she thinks I've stretched it, um, which was a compliment to me, but really disappointing to her. So make sure you go and check it out. They've got a whole range of clothes. They've got the running briefs, they've got the undies, ladies, little G-banger if you're interested in running in one of those ones. What I like about the rundies is they don't get all, now I don't want to get too personal, I don't want to paint graphic images in you with you, but but cotton undies, they, they get a bit claggy, they get a bit, uh, maybe this is an issue I need to check out, claggy was the wrong word, take that picture out of your head. They get a bit sweaty, they're not comfortable to run in, they get too heavy, I can't believe I said the word claggy. You're never going to get no clag with rundies though. They are comfortable. They're not a speedo material, but they're like a, you can just tell when you put them on that they're designed to be able to handle a good amount of sweat. And as much as we don't want to talk about it, when you run, your gooch gets a bit uncomfortable. I'm just being real with you. Come on, don't pretend I'm the only one. Wow, we've uh, we've we've got closer than I anticipated getting. So if you're a fan of Rundy's, or if you like the sound of that, make sure you go to rundies.com.au. Now, they've already got some reduced prices going on, but if you type in the code SMOOTH21, you are gonna get a further 20% off. Now, I'm pretty sure that SMOOTH21 is all in capital, so make sure you got caps on, you're going to get 20% discount on those undies. Now, if I've hyped it up too much and you contact me and go, Ty's, I don't know. Uh, you told me they were so good. They're not really for me. I'm going to give you a 12-month free membership to the Relaxed Running membership. So that's all on me. I promise you that if you're not happy, you will be. But if you're not, get in touch with me. I'm going to give you free 12 months pass to the membership, which will give you access to all the training programs, all the Experts Corner videos, questions being answered, workouts, stretching routines, as well as our forum and everything else that's on there. So don't just be one of those blokes, though. He's like, oh, I'm not happy with it because I just want a free membership. Please be honest, all right? But I'm going to carry my part of that deal. So Smooth 21 for a further 20% off all your Rundies attire. Go to rundies.com. Dot A-U. Now that's enough from me. Guys, hey, great to see some of you jumping on board the Relax Running membership. If you want to check it out, if you've been flirting with the idea, jump over, get your three-day free trial. Um, you're gonna get access to everything I just mentioned a moment ago. So hey, it's it's starting to look really, really good. And uh, and I can say that with confidence now. All right, so check it out. Distant uh, relaxrunning.com slash distance members. That's enough for me. Let's get me out of the way. Well, I'm about to introduce myself again, but I'm talking to the Aussie 10K champ, so it makes it uh, even more enjoyable. So welcome to the podcast. For the first time, Mr. Patrick Tiernan. <music> Thanks for coming on, I'm, um, I was pumped to have a chat to you, I couldn't, I was surprised, I thought I sent you a message ages ago asking you to come on, and I thought, oh, I, I don't know what you're like with your, with your Instagram messages, but I miss them, so I thought, alright, I'll try my luck and just go back again, I clicked on your name the other day and realised I'd never sent one through, so I don't know what I was thinking there. We might have, because I know when we um, when we met
1: in, was that in London?
0: Yeah.
1: At the time, yeah, because I had, I think I had a different count then, yeah and then I had to switch because it got someone got into it or whatever so maybe there was a message sent to that one around that time and then I had to switch like basically got a new account so you might have actually sent me one to that one and then I obviously went through all that process so yeah yeah yeah.
0: no that makes sense man I've um I've already hit record on this I'll um I was thinking I'll edit it out just want to get talking because I always feel like the juicy stuff comes out just when I'm chatting to people before we even hit um, yeah, no. record. Let me just make sure. I did one with Zane Robertson last year, and um, I got to the end of the conversation, and I was too scared to tell him. But I was like, "Oh, mate, I bloody like, I forgot to press record," <laughs> and it was such a good chat. And uh, so now I've just gone through the process. Let me just make sure I've hit record on. I've got record going on Skype here. Let me just yeah, make but... sure I've got it going on the little backup thing. No, All right. Worries. Two minutes forty nine. No, we're looking safe. We're looking safe. Um, yeah, man, we'll, we'll just we'll just jump straight into it. Does does about an hour work for you? That's perfect, mate. Yeah, no, I've, yeah. I've got all the time in the way. If you get bored after twenty minutes or it's just an awkward first date, just uh, just tell me you forgot about something. <laughs> you can get going. No worries. It's funny you sure mentioned. Um, I was glad you remember that. Actually, I don't know if I'm glad or not that you remember the uh, that London cafe because I reckon that was 2017, and uh, man, it was so funny because I had um, I'd been getting excited in the Popplestone household about some of your performances. And uh, every time every time you lined up for a race, I was just excited to see what time you'd put up on the board. And uh, just coincidentally, since I finished running in about 2014, 2017 was probably the most attention I'd paid to to athletics. So um, for, for everyone listening, I was sitting in a cafe, I can't remember what it's called, in in the centre of London, and uh, this good-looking head just sat down next to me with with two good-looking girls. And uh, I thought, hang on a second, that's the great man, Paddy Tiernan. And I tried to strike up, strike up a conversation and not fangirl too much, but I think the fangirl got the better of me. So I was uh, I was slightly upset that you remembered. I think. No,
1: nah, mate, it was a, it was a good year for me, so I was glad. That's the year you you
0: turned back in the track because that was um,
1: yeah, I'm glad it wasn't 2018 because otherwise we might not be having this chat. So. <laughs> <laughs> 2017. No, it was great, mate. Because I I remember. Um, yeah, I don't remember who I was with, but yeah, I remember thinking at the time it made me look great. So I was like, I'm, I'm <laughs> pleased about that. But, um, yeah, no, it was, it was, it was just crazy because you know I'm, I'm in London. Like I've been, you know, in Australia. If, if you run into someone who knows something about the running world, that might happen. Or over here, like, you know, maybe around Villanova campus or something like that. But it was in London, so I just wasn't expecting it at all. So it was. It was <laughs>
0: It's funny you say that because I was actually I was contemplating whether to say anything to you, and it honestly crossed my mind. I thought, well, the worst that can happen is he looks good in front of these two girls he's sitting down for a coffee with. Oh, so I'm glad I was hoping it wasn't just a sister or something, and it was actually someone I could help you out with. No, I'm trying. Oh, you know what? It was uh, that was
1: my that was my ex girlfriend and her sister. <laughs> so that would, and I'd messed up, so that made me look real good. So that was, so. <laughs>
0: So, what were you doing in London at that time? Were you you're obviously sort of based in Europe somewhere, running around? Was that was that uh, the base for that time? Yeah. So I still,
1: so I'm technically part of Melbourne Track Club, I guess, in on the agency side of things. So Nick, Nick's my agent manager, um, and so through 2017, when I went to Europe, Nick would basically set me up in in the Teddington house with all the other boys. Um, And so, yeah, so that was kind of where we based out of for all our mates if we had. I think that year I did Paris, um, London. I think I had a couple of races in Ireland or something like that, but it was always like you'd go from Teddington to those meets and back. Um, Rather than me having to go, I was training in Philly um, then, so rather than having to do the six- or seven-hour flight to and from Philly um, or trying to figure out, you know, staying in – Paris for three or four days before the next meet or something like that. It was kind of nice just to have that um, stability in in the Teddington house. And you could just, you know, you pack sort of a weekend bag to go to the meet um, rather than having lug your suitcase around with you. So um, yeah, so that, that was kind of um, my setup for a while. Um, And you know, it's, it's good because like I said, you, you feel like you've got a sort of central hub there and you're not, constantly traveling around with that with the heavy suitcase or something like that and you've got your life in in your bag with
0: you you've kind of got that base um always to come back to yeah no it makes sense man I know exactly what you mean as well because that that uh when I bumped into you there so my wife had been living my wife and I'd been living in London for about a year and a half at that time and we were just traveling like little superstars it's it's amazing how exhausting it can be like we, we parked ourselves in Rome for about a week, halfway through. So so we lived in London for a year and a half, but before we went there, we traveled for about two months through Europe. And I remember mate we were we'd been gone about a month and I was absolutely rooted. I couldn't believe it. And uh, we, we had a place. We had a little Airbnb booked for a week in in Rome. and man, it was just so nice to to plant the roots a little bit, have a place to call home for a couple of days. And even just a week just seemed to hit refresh. So I I know it sounds like a little bit of a Teddington vibe. So is that still there? Is that still? I guess you wouldn't have had a chance to go back the last sort of 18 months to base yourself in a place like that. Yeah.
1: So I went there in 2019, I think. Um, I think I did two stints in Europe. And then there was kind of a four or five week period where I wasn't racing. So I decided to come back. Back to Philly, and I was living was living with my fiance then, so it kind of just made sense to to come back. Um, but yeah, no, I so I did that in 2019. I'm not sure what um, sort of what my setup is now. Now that I'm training with a, a professional group over here rather than just going solo in Philly. Um, but yeah, no, it's it was just great. Like it was something I always appreciated from Nick, just like being able to set that up for me and it's something that you just don't have to worry about um
0: when you're going over there yeah so nick's not coaching you he's uh he's just looking after the the race side and the the sponsorship side of stuff who are who are you working with over there at the moment
1: yeah so i'm current i'm with um oregon track club elites so and mark Rowland uh coaches that group um and yeah it's been fantastic i've really really molded in well with the group um you know some training partners there uh Hassan Mead, Ben Blankenship, um Ciardi, Will Paulson, Jake Haywood, probably missing a few people there, but then on the women's side, you know, we've got the likes of Hannah Green, Chanel Price, um, Sally Kipiego, Sabrina Sutherland. So, oh, just like, you know, the biggest incentive for me coming out of here, you know, Hassan's probably the only one who i line up with perfectly as far as race distance goes as well um but it's more just the fact that you know i look at these these athletes and they're all making us teams which is a very hard team to make um i think that kind of gets overlooked a lot um you know because the way we're set up we have our trials and it's only over the top, like, the winner is an automatic spot, I guess. So if you get the time and you win, then you're an automatic spot. And then the next two spots are kind of up for discretion. Um, but you don't necessarily have to finish top three in order to make the team. Um, whereas over here, like, their trials are a month out from the championship. So, like, they've basically got to get the time before the trial. And then when they get to the trial, you know everyone who's got it. And it's, like, top three across the line at the time go um and yeah it's just you know it's it's a really it's a hard team to make it's a very sort of championship sort of vibe um and so i came you know i looked at this group and ben's made every team since like 2015 i think the sun's done the same thing hannah's won a diamond league eight um and made u.s team chanel won u.s indoors um, a few years, uh, world indoors, sorry, a few years back. So it was just, for me, it was like it's a team of people who know how to win races, and that's mm-hmm. something that I haven't been very good at in, you know, since i have since going professional. So that was sort of, that's the biggest thing that I want to learn is just how to win races, you know. Um, and so this is sort of the environment that I wanted to put myself in for that. And then you've got the coach, Mark, who um, won bronze in the steeple, I think, in eighty eight was the Seoul Olympics, I think. Um I think so I mean, that sounds a bit right he's, yeah. Been, yeah, he's been there, he's done he knows what to do. Um so yeah, it's just it was just a setup for me that both um, you know, my previous coach and myself, we actually had a mutual understanding that he came to me before I came to him telling me anything, that he thinks I thought I need to move on. Um and this was his his, his recommendation and then I I went all in on it, so um, yeah, so that's that's where I'm at at the moment but yes, uh, my relationship with Nick has always been just an agent manager side of things and he's always always had an eye out for me in that regard and been very good to me there, so um, yeah, sometimes gets a little confusing I think when you, when you put the Melbourne Track Club tag on it, but um, yeah, no, we've we've had a fantastic relationship there, and he's always been very respectful of the of the coaching component of things
0: there. So. yeah, no, that's good. I was actually wondering before we uh, before I called you this morning, I was I was trying to figure out who you were coached with, and I sort of I yeah. see you rubbing shoulders with Stewie, but probably that's just at the start line of races. Were you were you doing much of the the training like when you were back in Australia? Were you running a lot with that group, or you were pretty much too far away to be able to get in with them consistently?
1: Like before I went to college, or just whenever I come back.
0: Just actually, yeah. How long have you been back for? Because I, I forget. Like in my head, uh, Paddy Tiernan's a Melbourne boy, but you've probably I forgot about the fact that you've uh, that you spent so long over in the states at college. And then, uh, like, were you were you ever back full time in Australia? Or is it sort of just been dancing between countries since uh, since college? So I've pretty much permanently been in
1: the US um, since January twenty thirteen. I came back briefly for like three or four months leading into Com games, but that was more so for that preparation rather than a like, sort of jump sort of thing. Um, so when I was back in the lead-up to that, I, I went to Falls with those boys, jumped in with, with some sessions there, but for the most part, it's kind of, yeah, we've only really linked up um, if it's made sense as far as, you know, if I'm in Europe and one of Nick's sessions lined up with what I had or something like that and we could adjust it there. Um but yes, yeah, so, sorry, my dog's just got a squeak toy in its mouth. I thought he had a chicken. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I I've been yeah US based for yeah it'll be nine years um, at the end of this year. Um, so yeah, so no, we we haven't really linked up training wise much. Um, me and the MTC guys, but um, you know, we like I said before, when whenever I went to Europe, I would stay in the Teddington house, and we'd sort of link up in that way and um yes i know i'm all really well but just as
0: far as training goes we haven't really haven't really been doing too much together there yeah okay so what you moved over there what you must have been about 17 or, or 18 what just going into college you finished year 12 and thought all right it's time for a time for a change up
1: yeah so i did year 12 and i did a year at um year at university of queensland and trained with pat clahessie for a year no
0: oh, the great uh, man the great man pat. he's a legend it was-
1: yeah, yeah no it was fantastic um learned a lot from there and um it was great because I kind of focused on the 15th for a year which was a nice sort of change of pace for me. and then yeah came over to, to Villanova in January 2013 so I would have just turned 18 um and yeah it was kind of a thing where you know I'd said to myself I'm going to give it a year see how it goes um and it, it helped because I had, you know, Geordie Williams had just come over about three or four months earlier. Um, Sam mcintyre had been there for a year or two already. So I had that sort of Australian connection there, even though I never didn't really know either of them too well. Um, in fact, I'd never met Sam. I'd only met Geordie once. And, um, yeah, but, I mean, my first six months there, um, I went terrible. And it wasn't because of the coaching. I just wasn't tapped in at all. You know, like I was, I went to the US to party for six months. And I <laughs> mean, um, I think, I think my, I in like the first six months, I ran a 3K PB and a 1500 PB, but I also ran a 404 1500 and a 357 1500. And they were both, I think that at the time, that was about 11 seconds and 18 seconds off my PB, respectively. So it was, um, it was an interesting six months. I've, Marcus has told me since then that he was considering sending me home if I didn't have a good cross-country season, um, which, fair enough, you know, you're paying for a kid's degree and he's coming over and giving you just shit. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> So um, yeah, so my first six months wasn't wasn't great, but I had a had a good summer. My dad came over and spent a couple of weeks with me, which was great. I think that really sort of, you know, helped me get settled in and screw my head on a bit. Um, and then yeah, I finished ninth, I think, at the national uh, NCAA cross country meet the next seat, the next um, semester. So. Yeah, from then on, it kind of switched for me and I was able to focus and had a really good college career from there on out. Um, and yeah, that's kind of, yeah, that first cross country season kind of really
0: set everything in motion for me. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that when you got there, you're just ready to party. Because when I, I ran on one international team, I ran uh, the 2010 World Uni cross country champs in, in Kingston in Canada. And yeah. I thought, oh, fantastic! Like there was a there was a few guns on the team. I was there with Liam Adams and Jess Trengove and um just a couple of other just a couple of other legends. But we got there, and man, it was my first experience. So we were staying pretty much on uh oh, we were staying in some accommodation, but each day we'd travel into a big college, and I, I got a real American college vibe from it. And they had pizza, and they had jelly, and there was ice cream. And we were there for about a week before the race. And I, I would hate to know how many calories I consumed before that race, but it was it was way more than I needed. And I thought, yeah. like, whenever I think of college life, I don't only think of parties, but I think about the food you got to turn down. And I, I feel uh, like, based on your figure, you've uh, you, you've either got an amazing metabolism, a high training rate, or you just don't touch that stuff like I did. But uh, the temptations are, are, yeah. are all over the shop.
1: Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I, I do have a, a good metabolism, but... I was talking, it was funny, I was talking to, I think I was talking to Angel about this the other day, like, I don't necessarily, I feel like I'm in better shape when I'm at my heavier end, and it's because when I eat, like, shit, I just lose muscle definition. So, I don't necessarily get fat or, like, you know, put it on my hips or anything like that, but you can just see, I just look sloppy. Like my quads don't like they just look like little hot dogs, my stomach <laughs> stack or something. Um, like it's just everything just goes. Um, so I, and like yeah, like um, so there I just like I just lose all that muscle, and so I feel like I do lose weight, but it's like obviously I'm not going to run well if I'm just running on just flaps. So. <laughs> For me, it's like, and I, I sort of, it didn't make sense to me in, um, for a while, but then it kind of clicked was that, you know, I'd be weighing myself in the off season and I'd be, you know, if we're talking in kilos, like get down to like 65, 66 kilos. And I think oh, I'm like, I must be pretty skinny. So I don't know why I'm not running well. And then like I'd measure my, I think I measured myself after I ran my 10K this year and I was up around like 69, 70 kilos. But I looked at myself and I looked good, but it was just like, you know, it's because you're you're actually doing the right stuff. Like you're lifting, you're running, you're not eating the crap that like, or like that you would be in the off season and stuff like that. So it's just like, I think there's something to be said in that regard as far as I go. I know, you know, everybody's got a different body type and some people, you know, they are going to put on weight when they don't get when they're not fit and so this, a sign for them that they're getting fit is when they lose weight but for me it was kind of the opposite effect where you know if i've put on a little weight there's a good chance it's muscle um you know and you obviously have to keep that in check <laughs> if, you, <Yeah. laughs> if you're, on weight, you're not running well and you look at yourself and you think oh yeah I put on a few put on a few kilos there then you've got to readjust but um yeah, for me it was always just like I just lose the definition, and ultimately when that muscle goes, I just my weight just drops a bit. So, um, yeah, interesting. Like it's funny you say that, yeah, because I think I was probably my lightest that first semester, but I was running terrible. <laughs> um, and I look good. So it was it was an interesting interesting sort of revelation there.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. What what height are you, man? Because sixty nine, seventy kilos—that's not a—that's still not a whole, not a whole lot of weight to carry around, is it? It's a no, it's, a, it's not. a classic distance runner weight, I would say. Unless you're Dave McNeil, yeah. I reckon, then he's got a couple of kilos less on you. Yeah, yeah. um, so I'm about six two. So it's one hundred I think I'm just under one ninety. Jeez, um, oh, are you a big unit as well? Yeah, yeah. So, um,
1: yes, yeah, so I think it's it's you know it looks a. I'm still very skinny obviously but I think as far as you know a 10k 5k runner goes I'm definitely on the heavier on the heavier end um and definitely on the taller end so yeah so you try to try to not really let that that get to your head too much that you're lugging around an extra few kilos in the rest of the field but um no it's it's working out all right you you know like I said if you and figure out which parts you need to get stronger and which parts get leaner, then, you, then it works out all right.
0: Yeah, I was always on the heavier side of things as well, man, and my inspiration was Chris Zielinski. Whenever I helped, when yeah. he ran 26.59, I thought, mate, all right, he's my new hero. He's posted because he was the only bloke in running that I think had better, uh, bigger quads than me, and I reckon he was he's the only bloke in running that could probably bench press 100 kilos.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolute unit of bloke. Yeah, if he can break twenty seven, then weight and height is not an issue. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, like you said, it's you know, if he's running around twenty six fifty nine, he was yeah, he was a monster. So, um, yeah, weight and height doesn't doesn't mean jack when it when it comes down to it.
0: Yeah, it's a good point though, isn't it? Like I think I I probably got caught up on that because I was on the heavier side of things as a as a distance runner. I got caught up a lot going, all right, if I can just lose a little bit of weight. Then I won't have to carry so much around. But it's interesting that you say, hey, when you're at sixty-nine or seventy, yeah, you're probably in better shape. Is um, is diet, is diet something that you're paying a lot of attention to, or you sort of, like you've got a little bit of a routine and habit down? Okay, The reason I ask is I did a podcast with Stewie, um, very early in the piece, and we ended up. Uh, it's a long story short, I got to his house thinking that's where we're going to record, but his sister was home, so he said, no oh, mate, let's just go find a cafe, uh, down in town, and we we're in it. I can't remember what part of town we we're in. But it was a busy part. The only place that we could go to was a subway. And uh, yeah. so <laughs> we went into this subway and uh, had the microphone and stuff set up on the table. And I was so impressed because I'd seen Stewie and how skinny he was and how fast he was running. I thought, no, nah, there's no way this bloke would touch any of this. And as we left, he got a foot-long uh, meatball sub. And I thought, hang on a second, I could never do that. And you're still kicking my ass when it comes to times <laughs> on the board. So I'm always curious to yeah. know what people's headspace is when it comes to diet and the foods they choose. I was going to say Stewie puts it down, um, but yeah, no, I mean, but is that me, common knowledge? Like people know that about Stewie, he can eat.
1: Hey, I mean, I've lived with Stewie in Teddington. He's he pretty well actually. I, I was, um, in, it was like kind of similar surprise as you were. Like I think he, you know, I was surprised that he was putting putting that much fuel. But when you think about it, like, and I, I mean, that's the thing. He was eating the same amount that I was eating. And that's kind of what clicked in my head because I thought, oh, he's a really skinny bloke, but he was. Um, but no, I mean, I mean, he's running crazy times. Like you gotta, you gotta be feeling that somehow. So, you know, for me, it's a similar sort of thing. Like, oh, and like, like I think that's a great example. What you mentioned there, like he ordered a meatball sub. You know, like it's not like a salad with something else on the side. Like it's not necessarily something that's he's. Looked at the menu and thought, uh oh, you know, I should probably have a, a green for lunch or something like that. Like he's looked at it and thought, no, I want a meatball sub. Looks good, and I just need some food right now. It's kind of a simple, like that's sort of my mentality with it. And I'll have, you know, I've when you live live in your like in your training environment and you're set up in your house or whatever. Like I feel like you get into a routine of what you eat, sort of thing. So I've got like you know options for breakfast, lunch and dinner and stuff like that that I'll sort of tick through. Um, that would also be my limited ability as a chef, but, you know, that's another. <laughs> day.
0: Man, we've um, got so much in common. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now,
1: for me, diet-wise is more so um, not necessarily weight or anything, but more so to do with the sort of blood work that we get done. Um, so, for example, in the winter here it's really important for us to keep up um foods that are high in antioxidants to try and sort of fight off any you know infections that might be coming in so you know if that means including maybe some berries in a in your breakfast or like a kiwi fruit it's a great source of antioxidants so i'll have one of those every now and then with breakfast um with lunch like you know chucking in some spinach if you're making an omelette or something like that like every now and then things like that um dinner olive oil things like that just like little things that sort of add the important stuff to your diet um but like i'll still eat i mean when you called me i just got out some chocolate almonds like i'll i'll still pound some chocolate or lollies or something like that um but for me it's just making sure that when i'm having those big meals so like i'm making sure that i'm including something that i need in it mm-hmm. uh, so like when you're thinking about your dinner, you're constantly thinking like that's your biggest sort of intake of iron there if you're having a you know juicy red steak or something like that
0: mm-hmm.
1: um so it's just little thought processes like that it's not necessarily a strict thing and i feel like that's where um i struggled to. At- talk to people about that because i you know i can't live by a strict diet um i feel like it gets me more sort of in my head than anything mm. uh, and you know a sound body is great but if you're not sound in the mind then it's like it's trying to go into use so for me it's kind of like i'd rather be more relaxed about what i'm eating and include the little important things here and there um, to make sure that i'm staying on top of that rather than saying all right you know i need this amount of this get like set aside like five almonds for this meal every day or like you know for dinner i have to have steak with this salad but also add like you know some carbs or something like that in somewhere like for me it's just like this is what i want to have for dinner and look if i need to have a little bit of iron i'll make the steak a little you Know on the rarer side or something like that, or if I'm having lunch and I have something, I might, you know, like I was saying before, chuck in something that's rich in a in thing that I need right then and there. Uh, but that's what sort of, that's sort of been one of the big incentives coming out here as well. So, we, um, we actually work with a company called Orico based out of the UK, and they'll Sort of, they've sort of analyzed what we're eating, and you know, you do a food journal for a week. And of course, everyone, when they do a food journal for a week, that week is the best they've eaten in five <laughs> years, right? and they're aware of that. Like, they'll take, take into account that, all right, this guy's not actually gonna eat a, this salad with his meal every day or whatever. Um, but they sent out sort of, you know, they sent out a sheet to us afterwards that kind of lined out. Different options for like little additions to your meals each day, and that's where I was getting like those things like the spinach and the berries and the stuff like that. Like, I've got it on my fridge, and it's just like you know, with breakfast, add one of these three items to whatever you eat, with lunch, add one of these three items, to dinner. Yeah, so it's not necessarily any means, but it's just when you add the important little things, you add that important one thing to your meal and just like make sure you're getting on top of that
0: yeah that's a good point i like that it's, it's super practical like i like the idea that in a lot of senses you're letting the blood work talk to you about what you might be missing and what you might be lacking rather yep. than just going all right let's just try and eat healthy foods that everyone eat obviously it's such an individualized sport that different like i always used to struggle with um with iron levels for whatever reason like i wasn't vego i think it might have had something to do with i smashed a lot of dairy when i was younger yep. And uh, I felt like, it wasn't until I was about 23, man, I'd had two sinus surgeries, I was getting ready for a third. And uh, my iron levels were always out of whack, my energy was always buggered. It actually had a big part to do with why I ended up hanging up the spikes, because I was like, man, I'm putting in the work. And there's about three years where I just couldn't figure out what was going on. And my bloody, my wife's grand said to me, mate, just cut out dairy and I reckon your symptoms will go away. And she'd been saying it to me for about two years. And I just like I'd been seeing doctors and stuff, so I thought, "There's you don't know what you're talking about." She was 81 or something. And I was like, "Come on, love." Anyway, so I cut it out. I thought, "All right, I'll just I'll stop being so arrogant. I'll cut out the dairy." Man, I, yeah. I never went in, got the third sinus surgery. My iron levels since that time have, I've never had a trouble with it. Never had problems with it. But like you, I um, I'm actually probably due, but I try about two times a year just to go in, get a little bit of blood work just to make sure that the body's functioning well. Um, yeah. Yeah, because it's it's too easy just to go. All right, like you've got these twelve items on the fridge that you're supposed to eat, and then like you're just missing other other important factors. But one thing that stands out to me, man, every time I talk to a top runner, maybe Aussie runners. I don't know if it's the same with uh, with with your crew over there. There seems uh, to me, from what I can tell, there seems to be a bit of a correlation between how relaxed the athlete is in like within reason in not only their training and diet and stuff, and how well they run. Like I think. Um, from from spending a bit of time with Stewie, I can see that he's probably the most relaxed bloke on the whole planet. Um, like Geordie Williams seems like a pretty relaxed guy. There's there seems to be like a little bit of a trade-off. Or people you mentioned that you can get too caught up in your head, and and that was something that I I felt like when I was running my best, I, I definitely wasn't up in my head. I was always, um, I, I, I guess, for lack of a better term, a little more a little more present. Is that something that for you, um, like as a your natural state, or or your most common state, are you are you less in your head, or is that something that you've had to sort of practice over the years?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think all in all, I'm like generally a pretty sort of laid back, relaxed person. But I've you know you get in your head about stuff all the time. Um, you know, you can put on a certain persona, but I'll come back home, and if I'm just sitting by myself, you know, it some thoughts are bound to creep in every now and then. You know, like if you have a bad session, or if you you know, especially if you come back from a bad race and, like, you're just sitting there and you just mull over it. Like, you'll look, you'll watch it, you'll do all that, and you can come across fine in training and, you know, show up the next day and tell someone will ask how you're doing. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. But, you know, like, you know, that person's probably going home and, you know, thinking about it then and there. So, um, yeah, no, I... You know, I'm relaxed, but I still need to find things to do. Like, I came out here and I really got into golf. Um, yes. It's just like, you know, you're out there for four hours and you're distracted, you know. You, can, you can't really think about your running because if you think about you running, you probably get a shit shot and then you're mad about that. Then you hit that well. If you think about you running again, it's just like it outweighs it. So, for me, it's like I'm out there for four hours and I'm going to go and do this and focus on that. And so, it's kind to of like... You know, you just you've got that distraction which relaxes. You
0: know, golf's a stressful game, so I don't know why I picked that up. But my mate always says it's a four-hour walk that makes you hate yourself. Which I relate (laughs) to,
1: exactly. So, um, but yeah, but for me, it's you know whether that that aside, like it relaxes the running side of things for me. Like I just I don't think about it, so it's kind of like you're just getting out of your own head. Um, I love coming home on a you know once or twice a week after a good session or after a session having a beer with dinner because I just think it kind of it's like it just relaxes me generally I feel like when you can sit down and crack open a cold one and just sort of take in then and there it's just something about it just relaxes you like you are just you're not as worried about stuff I think you can like you can really just kind of see things for what they are at that point in time. So, you know, that's something I'll try and do. And I, I try and incorporate that with races as well. Whether it's a good race or a bad race, I'll try and treat it the same way where I come come home, you know, got my beer in the fridge. I'll line up – if Angel's not there, I'll line up a call with her later. But it's kind of just that mentality of like, look, I just got to – you got to relax because if you, if you wound up about it, then – you know, you're either not going to sleep, you're either going to overthink it and start to get, you know, start to get into that mindset of having, all right, I got to eat this at this time, I got to do this, I got to do that. When reality is, it was probably just one small thing, or like it was just a bad day. So, like, um, obviously, if there is a big problem, then you sort it out. I just try and live a fairly normal lifestyle. And, and yeah, just try not to overanalyze things, you it back.
0: Yeah, while, while we're on the subject, I took a little mental note earlier. I wanted to speak to you about the, the group that you joined up with because you were, you were sort of just mentioning a couple of the names and the consistency with which they've made teams, and you wanted to learn a little bit about that. Like, um, uh, is there anything particular that you've, that, and this is a super interviewee question, but I don't know how else to ask it. I'm just interested. Uh, is there anything in particular that stood out to you from, from what your group's doing? Like, there's, uh, I don't know, is that the group that Centro? used to run with. Did he Did he ever run up at Oregon with you guys? No,
1: nah, he was with Oregon Project. So there's three big, three main groups up here, Bowman, um, I mean, the offset of Oregon Project now, and then Oregon Track Club. Um, uh, so he was with Oregon Project and then
0: went to the other group, Bowman. Yeah, uh, okay. Oh, no, the reason I was asking, because not so much the last couple of years, but since, I guess, the 20... 16 olympics every every time he lined up on a a 1500 meter start line i thought he he was just one of those blokes that you're like okay there's there's a very good chance he's going to win he just he just seemed to have tapped into that ability he just knew how to do it a little bit like uh like a bloke like Britson at the moment you see him on the start line you're like all right good luck to you um and there is there seems to be like a little bit of a, a little bit of something that these guys tap into obviously there's incredible talent to back it up with but Talent alone is not just going to win your races. You've got to have that confidence, that belief, the um, the know-how, I guess, when it comes to tactics and stuff. Is there any standout features of a bloke like um, ship that you've gone, hang on a sec, all right, I hadn't really seen that until now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny you
1: say that because coming out here, you know, you see them all making teams consistently and whatnot, and you kind of expect it to be a similar sort of mindset. Um, but the craziest thing is, is how different they all are you know like Ben Ben's a great bloke um and he's so down to earth with everything like he'll so he you know he's got about six or seven cars in his driveway at one time because that's kind of what he does he like fixes up cars and he loves it and, um and all of that so it's kind of like that's like his golf I guess is like that's his way of taking his mind off things but um no I actually had a chance to have a real good chat with him the other day and um you know, he's just good at doing what he needs to do. So he – we don't actually link up a whole lot. Like, we'll do some sessions together. Like, this morning we linked up for a session. Um, but he's very good at kind of knowing what his body needs. Like, he doesn't lift with us. He'll do his own separate lift and he sees a lady in Portland to sort out his PT side of things um, or his physio side of things, sorry. So he – you know, he's just one of those guys who he's figured out what works for him and he, he just does what he has to do to get that done. Um, a guy like Hassan Mead, he, I mean, he, firstly, he's the one who got me into golf and he just, <laughs> I reckon last year he probably played about 100 rounds of golf. It was Wait, like Just that
0: while we're on golf, I'm not going to interrupt you. Keep going with that. I want to come back to golf. I'm very interested in asking you a few questions specifically about that, but we'll go to that later. So keep keep going with what you're saying.
1: No worries, um, but he, he see he's a he's a funny guy because he's constantly like I could absolutely rip him in a session, like put him put him to the coffin, and I guarantee he'll come out of that, and he'll still have the same level of confidence that he went into that session with, like he he's got such a strong ability to put a bad result or a bad session behind him quickly and come out of it and think, I'm still going to make that team in June. I'm still going to be in Tokyo. Like we ran we – ran, he'll hate me for mentioning this, but we ran a half marathon down in Vegas in January. And I remember thinking, then I was like, if I ran 66 minutes, I would be – I wouldn't sort of know what to do. But I was standing next to a guy – who ran? who is a U.S. runner, he runs in the 10K and the marathon. And we saw him cross the line, and he looked at me and he said, I know that guy's still going to make that team, that 10K team in June. And I was like, yeah, he probably will. And sure enough, two minutes later, he walked off, and he had his two minutes where you could tell he was just frustrated. He was mad. Two minutes later, he came back. We were cooling down like nothing had happened. He came back out. That race was on a Saturday. He came out the following Tuesday and destroyed me in a tempo destroyed me i'd beaten him by three and a half minutes in that half marathon and he came out and destroyed me and you could just tell it was like a just a light switch he was like all right i'm in and now that was in january and now he's like i'm struggling to keep up with it. it's realization that one he knows when he has to switch it on like he's very good at knowing that and bends the exact same way um and two just like when it's on
0: it's it just happened. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. So it's uh, I, I find this fascinating, man. And uh, so, so since um, leaving the running scene, I'm sure my listeners are sick of me talking about this, but just for what it's worth, I, I'm amazed at the correlation between so many different fields. Um, uh, as a, a subtle suggestion that we're going to get back to into golf in a minute, I recently watched the Tiger Woods documentary on Binge, um, which is a little gossip magaziney, but also really interesting to look at just like the mental processes that he takes between a bad shot and his next good shot, which, uh, like your mate that you're just talking about there, sounds like he's just got this incredible ability just to leave, you know, uh, what went poorly behind him, uh, maybe yep. to his detriment, and get on with his his next shot. Well, in golf, it was obviously a great thing. But, uh, dude, I, I started stand-up comedy about two and a half years ago. And I yeah. find it I'm, I, it's my new running, bro. Like, I'm so addicted. But what is so fascinating about stand-up is, like and I've learnt firsthand it is so you're bound to come across a bomb and in my case like you get to bomb all the time so you get plenty of times to practice but uh what's interesting man is the the best comedians don't necessarily bomb less when they're trying out new material but they've got this ability just to see it for what it is it's like all right uh, they can see the phase of preparation that they're in they can see that it's a new joke there and so many blokes leave the scene because they'll get up and put the bomb consistently but like, all right I'm shit at comedy I'm not gonna do it and I found that interesting I was sort of uh, since I started I was like man it blows my mind just how many little correlations like that there are between distance running and a scene like stand-up comedy and I reckon if you can develop that ability and I think it can be developed really well like if, if someone's listening going oh man I suck at this like like anything I think you can really work on your ability to do it but it's uh, it's definitely helpful because I'm sure you'll appreciate. and You mentioned 2018 uh, not too long ago. Like there's there's bound to come a time where you're going to suffer a few losses or you'll be injured or you'll just be going through a shit patch. And if you let that get on top of you, you're good luck getting back out there and racing well.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and that's that's kind of like I yeah like I had a terrible year in 2018. It's just that message of like every day is not going to be great. It's like you got to make sure you're ready for the one that counts their ability to be able to you know prioritize what they're doing, set aside a day that you know realistically didn't mean as much as, as people building it up to me um, and really make it count for for when it comes down to
0: it. so yeah, so no, it's been it's been a really good learning curve. Dude, I'm just gonna I might just switch off the um the video because I'm uh, um there's a little bit of a lag going on between us. Um, so i might just switch that off it might help us out a little bit with um uh what do you call it just with with the connection yeah no worries Uh, i'm pissing myself laughing in that photo i'm not sure what's going on there but there you go you can look at that for the next 15 minutes or so (laughs) is that am i coming through okay with you yeah you're coming through fine with me it it probably is on my own mate so
1: um yeah if there's if it cuts out don't don't be afraid to interrupt
0: yeah no no dramas man no dramas so I've uh, I'm, I've got to, I've got to ask you a little bit about golf before I, before I ask you a few questions that the uh, the racks running fans have have shot through. I've got to ask you a little bit about that. So how's the uh, how's the form and, and what was the what was the incentive getting involved in that? A little bit of competition with you, mate. Def, definitely competitive
1: side of things. Um, no, I I mean, I'm just a sports nut. Like I think that was one of the. One of the sort of most jarring things that my fiance found out about me was that as a kid, I didn't have my like, hobbies with sport. Um, like I think she asked me, like, what I did as a hobby, and I was like, oh, I played cricket, and she was like, No, I thought it was a, you know outside of cricket. Oh, I played tennis every now and then. She was like, all right, did, did you do anything outside of sport? No, like, no, nah, nah, that's just all I was interested in. Um, and that's true to this day. I mean, I, I obviously have more interest but i still love the chance to you know i'll go like golf i've picked up now if people want to go 10 pin bowling i'll do that i I just love it Um, (laughs) but yeah i um i knew when i talked to hassan initially about coming out to join um to train with him out here and join the group here i i knew he was big into golf and i thought oh that'll be kind of a good you know good way to get to know him a bit and um and just, you know, spend some time because Angel and I are living apart now because she's with a, a group two and two or two and a half hours away. So I was like, that'll just be a good way to, you know, kill the day. Um, but yes, I got into it and I figured I'd go and play around before I played with him just so I could, you know, dust off, dust off the cobwebs and stuff like that. Mate, it was appalling. I think it was, <laughs> I reckon I shot maybe 112 So what's that, about 40 over? Um, It was a shocking day. It was terrible. (laughs) And so I thought, geez, i got to go and go to the range and figure out something. Um, But no, I'd say I'm shooting consistently in the low 90s now, which is – Oh, wow. um, I'm pleased with that. Um, Yeah, my my biggest goal with golf is I don't want to be that guy that, you know, you feel bad giving shit to about a shot um, I feel like that's when it becomes a bad day is when you you know you're on the seventh or eighth hole and someone misses a misses a short putt or they shank it or something like that and you feel bad giving them shit about it um, that's when you know it's not going well so I, I told I said that to Hassan I was like if it gets to that point just tell me to go home um, so yes and I've, I just I love that I love being out there and you know having a bit of banter with them. Um, our Mark actually comes out and plays with us sometimes. And Tom Farrell, who's the he's um, kind of like the assistant coach of the group and takes care of the of the logistics and whatnot. He'll he'll join us as well. So it's a it's a nice, just a good day out and kind of a much more relaxed environment, which is great. Um, and the weather out here is just it's good all year round. Like it'll be. I think the coldest it'll get will be around, you know, 10, 10, degrees, um, in the middle of the day. So it's gloomy, like it's very cloudy and sometimes it is just a miserable day to go out. So you don't want to do that, but it, it is a thing that you can potentially do year round. So, um, yeah, no, I've, I've loved it. It's, it's, it's a great, great little, I would say hobby, but it's just another sport that I've picked up.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> So,
0: yes, yeah, so and no, I'm, I'm really getting into it. Um, yeah, love it. Man, so what are you doing then? So you're out a couple of times. A, like, are you playing once a week or are you playing twice a week or are you at the driving range? Like, how are you – I'm just – I'm interested because I think – oh, man, I've uh, I've, I've actually – I've got a set of clubs that I've, I was using very consistently until about three months ago. But the, I can't justify the golf club in Point Lonestar where I am right now. Um, it's – I think they're charging about – for for nine holes and my skill level just can't you can't justify going out for a $50 game of golf for nine holes a couple of times a week because it's just not worth it it's just I'm better off spending 20 bucks spending two hours at the driving range and actually working on some stuff but I know I know how addictive the sport can be and if I was uh or if there's a a, I'm from uh, from Gippsland where the local course is about 10 bucks to play on so I was I would go out a couple of times a week down there and um and feel happy just to spend a couple of hours walking around trying to improve but when you're putting 50 bucks down a couple of times a week it's not as fun (laughs) no no it's not and so it's, (laughs) it's actually it's pretty
1: affordable out here which is nice like there's some courses that um you know they're not they're not anything special but they're you know you can go out and play 18 holes for anywhere between sort of 15 and 30 bucks which is which is nice um so we'll you know i'll try and get when the weather's nice like i'll try and get sort of a round in a week um you know sometimes someone will drag me out for two two um two rounds a week but um no i don't go to the driving range my theory is that if i go if i start going to the driving range consistently i'm gonna get too into it yeah um, <laughs> Don't want it to, like I said, it was kind of a distraction from running, and I don't want it to become something that I really stress over. Like it's a stressful enough game as it is. So um, the most sort of range work I'll do is about fifteen minutes of putting before the first tee, um, and that's that's a stretch because I'm not I'm not very good at getting getting there with time to spare. So. Um, yeah, no, we we'll just go and play. Um and I think that's that's his biggest appeal to it. that's my biggest appeal to it, is just, you know, going and playing rather than rather than having a practice aspect to it. Um so yeah, it can make it very frustrating, but my theory is I, I could hit twenty balls perfect in a row on the driving range and then my first one and end up in the water anyway. So um, yeah. So it's it's you know, if we'll try and get out once once a week, um, if it's if it's a nice day, but yeah, like over the winter we didn't get out nearly uh, very much at all. I think we played we played our first round in about since December, uh, actually since November, um, a couple of weeks ago. So um, yeah, but now that it's, now that the weather's turning a bit, uh, we're actually we're heading up to altitude uh next week I'm going to try and try and take the clubs with me, but we'll see how we go.
0: Yeah, where where are you guys off to next week? Where yeah, uh, where do you he- head up to? Uh, we're going
1: um, going to Flagstaff in Arizona, so we'll be we'll be up there for about five weeks, um, which will be nice. So it's my first time going to. I've been to Falls Creek once, um, but outside of that, I haven't haven't done any sort of altitude, so I'm looking forward to looking forward to going there and. Um, Yeah, just kind of getting in a bit of a training camp time type of vibe, which will be which will be good leading
0: into the summer. Yeah, awesome, man. It must be uh how do you go with the professional running side of things? I was I've spoken to enough runners now to know that there's uh there's plenty of gaps in your day to fill in, which is I think what golf is probably doing for you at the moment. But um I watched uh I watched the great man Morgan McDonald's new YouTube channel the other day. I was having a look at one of his videos about uh, just how he deals with the boredom in running. And he said that's part of the reason he started doing a vlog, because he's like, I'm yeah. not complaining, I absolutely love what I do, but there's a lot of spare time, and I just don't know what to do with it sometimes. So that was his incentive for getting started. So have you got, like, outside of golf, and do you say you're engaged? I am, yeah. Well played, yes, man. Is that, is that a new so, little addition?
1: I don't, I don't know. So we've actually we've been engaged for a lot longer than we anticipate. We've been engaged since... Um, March of 2019, and we were meant to get managed past August, um, but obviously because ah, of the pandemic that yes. we that um, and we we're, we're sort of currently we postponed it to August of this year. But I mean, you know, it's in it's in the states and Australia's travel restrictions are, are what they are. Where that's still kind of up in the air as well. So we may we may end up having having a quite quite a long engagement yeah uh, but no, no but the wedding's all planned so I, I can't fill my day with that um <laughs> one of my great talents is i'm very good at being bored I'm, I'm very happy just to sit on the couch and watch tv for a while time still felt like you know all i had to do was make lunch and have a shower and uh yeah still managed to somehow be sitting on the couch for too long after my shower and in between lunch and then was scrambling around to get stuff together. So, um, no, I, I, I don't have that issue as much. It is very much a, um, I agree with Morgan. There's a lot of, a lot of time to fill. And if you, if you're someone who can't really sit still or, um, feels like they have to have to do stuff, then it, it does become a situation where you got to find something to do with your time. Um, I do, I actually, to be fair, when, when we were in Europe, I did sort of find that, you know, cause you, you know, when you're in a shared house and stuff like that, I think it becomes a little, you know, a little more awkward there. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you don't really want to be that guy that's just sitting on the couch in the shared living room all day. <laughs> so you're either sitting on your bed all day or you try and find something to do outside of the house. Um. Whereas when I'm at home, I, I don't feel any guilt in that regard. So um, yes, yeah, so and no, I um, but the golf's good. It gets me out and about. Um, I actually don't mind walking walking around for three and a bit hours. I feel like it kind of helps keep uh, keep things moving, which is good. But um, no, I I really really don't mind the lifestyle when it's when I've got
0: my own place, sort of thing. So um, yeah. Nah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome, dude. I've uh, I've got my on the clock. I told you now. I've just got a couple more little cheeky questions, and I'll let you enjoy your evening. But yeah, um, not a. Problem. What did you? What, what session did you guys have on the plate today? You said you and uh, Ben did a session earlier, did you? Yeah, so we had um, we had five sets of four
1: four hundreds um, this morning. So it's it's a tougher one for me because it's you know we get we start dropping sort of quicker laps and the recovery um, in the set is only 45 seconds, um, which it was today. usually it's only 30. So, um, yeah, five sets of four fours, 45 seconds rest in between. And then in between the sets, it's a lap jog. Um, but, yeah, it's basically today we started out at 64, 60, like 64, 63 for the first set um and then basically the goal is each set you're dropping down a second so by the last set we're doing 60 seconds um for oh, each yeah. rep. So, um no it's it's a good session it's something that you know is new to me coming out here um which is good you know that's why i came out to so just sort of get uncomfortable um but yeah it's it's great like we had like to be honest i think i was the only person who did that but like Hassan was with us for the first two sets um, and that was kind of his taper because he's doing a road race this weekend. Um, A couple of the other, the 1,500 guys jumped in. Some of them started with me and did four sets and then a couple others did, jumped in sort of in the second or third set and did the rest there. Um, Ben actually didn't jump in until the third set, but then he had a fourth set At the end, so he was dropping down to fifty nines for his last set, sort of thing. Um, So it's kind of, it's I think that's a great testament to Mark is that you know he's very good. I think at being able to intertwine our sessions, but also being able to taper them to our respective needs. Being a ten k guy, I need the volume, but you know I'm obviously not quite in shape yet to be able to do a set of four 400s in 59 seconds at the tail end of a session um whereas that's something that ben you know he's a 353 miler um you know that's something that he's quite capable of doing um and an area that he wants to work on sort of thing so um yeah so that was that was our session this morning um it was a good one um Got through it well, so I'll I'll be rewarding myself with a beer for dinner tonight. Or with oh, well dinner
0: deserve, man. I might even have one for you over here just to yeah. celebrate a good session. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, <laughs> I won't yeah. have it yet though. It's only eleven fifty nine in the morning here, so I've got to wait at least twelve thirty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> man, I've got a couple um, of so. questions for you from the um from the audience now. I've I've tried to boil them down because some of them sort of lapped over nicely. I'm just going to throw two at you because I feel like these two are a pretty. Uh, symbolic of, of what a lot of people were asking so actually one of them is a bit left out uh, a, a bit from left field but this first one from uh who was the actual person that asked it? Oh, Andre Bulletis. I hope I'm saying his name right um he has asked what do you think the most beneficial oh actually no he's, he's written two questions here uh this is Dante sorry Dante Kuti has asked what's the favorite or most beneficial workout for the 10k in your opinion 10k i think it would have to be some sort of fartlek
1: session um now whether that means you're doing well actually no yeah it is a, it is some sort of fartlek so um for me the biggest indicator this like leading into my race in december was when we had kind of had a bit of a mixed session it was um We did 10 laps of, like, a hill circuit where you're, you know, striding, working the hill, which was about 300, 350 metres, and then jogging back down. Um, So we did 10 sets of that, which was kind of like a, you know, like a, not a warm-up, but, like, your first part of the session. And then we jogged down to the track, and we had 4Ks worth of 200 on, 200 off, but it was... Your on rep was about 30 seconds and your off rep was about 38, I think. Um, so you're only running, when you think about it, you're only running, I was only running 68 second laps, but it's a hard way to do it when you're constantly going back and forth between the paces like that. So, um, but for me, if I can get through that 200 on, 200 off at the end of a session and be doing it, you know, being able to pick up the pace towards the end of it, I feel like that's a great indicator for me mm-hmm. that I'm in shape to run a quick 10k um, just because I think it's such a long it's such a long distance on the track to you know just be comfortable running a set pace like you've got to be ready to go sort of fast and slow here and there like even when it's a pace race I feel like it's still you still got to be able to adjust to a change in pace um, so yeah so for me that that's um sort of fart like his style session or surging and laying back um that's that's the type of session that that really gets me in in good shape for a ten.
0: yeah awesome man awesome now the the uh andre andre brutolus but I'm, I'm i know he's gonna i know he's gonna be looking at this and be disappointed with my pronunciation of his <laughs> last name but with the last name Popplestone, i know how he feels so i'm not going <laughs> to apologize um, <laughs> I think we answered his first question he asked what drove you to run over in the USA and um, he's got another one here which I'll throw at you uh, he's asked looking back 5 to 10 years uh, did you ever think that you'd be running at the level that you are now yes yeah,
1: so I guess the move to the US um, yeah like we said earlier I was trying to well, actually, I don't know if I said this earlier but I was for me I just needed a change and I, need, I knew that you know the culture in Queensland is not necessarily a professional runner-friendly culture. Um, so for me, it was kind of like I, ne- I knew I needed a change if I wanted to keep running. Um, and what that was, I didn't really know until I got an got an offer from from one of the US colleges. And from that point, you know, I sort of figured out where I wanted to go, and um, I had that connection to Villanova with. You know having Geordie there who'd just run 336 at the time, and I think Sam had also just run 336, so I'd seen they'd been doing well. And you know, honestly, I just thought, you know, screw it, I need, need to change something up, let's go over there and, and see what happens. Um, so that was kind of my drive over there, which doesn't sound very well thought out, I guess. Now I think about it, but um, yeah, so that's that's where I went, and I guess that kind of around then puts me about 10 yeah nine or 10 years ago um to be honest i had no no ambition to make the olympic team um just because i didn't think i could do it like it didn't seem that was reachable um i still was obsessed with cricket i think i wanted to play for cricket for australia until i was about 19 and i'd been in the states running for two years at that point um (laughs) That was a just a childhood dream that I hung on to for about 10 years too long. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I don't think it was until in 2014 I ran the Com Games B qualifier in the 5K. And I think it was a few weeks after the, the cutoff date. Um, but I didn't know it until, you know, about... It might not have even been the next year, like 2015, when someone mentioned that I I had done that. Um, And that was kind of the first time where I thought, oh, you know, making an Australian team is sort of a realistic thing. Because I never made a team as a junior. um, And I came to the US and I just said, I'm just going to focus on running Ford, Villanova. Doing all this, and it was. I mean, it's easier for me to say that because I didn't even, like I said before, I didn't even think I was capable of making an Australian team. Um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely did not think that I'd be running for Australia, um, at all, let alone in potentially two Olympics. Um, so it's, yeah, I think it's sort of come leaps and bounds there in that regard. I definitely didn't think I'd be sponsored. Um, a company like Nike I didn't think I'd be running in a professional you know part of a professional team um in that sport so no it's it's something that really didn't come on until I came to the states and started you know having results that translated somewhat um and for me I I think that was crucial because I think if I'd stayed in Australia I constantly would have been racing guys like like at the time it would have been Brett Robinson, Collis, Birmingham, um, I think Mottram was still racing when I was leaving high school. But I, I it would have been situations where I'd line up against those guys and, you know, fresh out of high school, I'm not getting anywhere near them. Um, yeah. And I think just constantly seeing that gap, I think, would have been hard for me to mentally come around and think that I could compete with them. It would be one of those things where, like you were saying before, with Centro, like I'd line up. And I'd kind of eliminate those three guys from the field and think, all right, where's my race at? Um, Whereas I think when I came over here, it was kind of the next stepping stone for me. And it allowed me to still continue to go into races, trying to win them and thinking that I could win them. Um, So that by the time I got to the end of my time here, I was running 1320 and able to compete with guys like that. Um, And so the first time that it, Clicked in my head that I had to compete against them to make a team. Um, it was doable, you know. Like I was, I was running those times. I was getting in those same races. Um, so yeah, so it definitely being at Villanova and going through that process of the US college system definitely led me to believe that it was something that I could do. But yeah, before coming over, I I really did not think that I would I would be able to do that.
0: Yeah. No, awesome man. Awesome. Well, dude, look, we've been gone for an hour four. I'll I'll leave you to it. It was uh it's good to finally catch up with you, man. I'll 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 shoot out another invite later in the year if you're interested and touch base on how it's all going. Cause uh I'm pretty excited to watch this 10k record keep dropping. I reckon you've got a, a little bit more up your sleeve. So I can't wait to uh have you got any idea of when you're lining back up on the track? I think um I think we're aiming to do maybe a, a shorter race just
1: locally here in the US, um, in May, maybe like a fifteen hundred or something and then I think I'm gonna help pace I'm thinking I'm gonna pace a sign in a ten K maybe, um, to help him get the standards. So as far as a ten or a five that I'd be lining up in next, probably not until probably not till June or July. Yeah, um a good time up to to tokyo um but i think if all goes well my next 10 will be will be in tokyo um so yeah if i want to compete that record's gonna have to drop a lot so we'll, <laughs> we'll see how we go
0: nah awesome man all right man well i'll be uh, i'll be cheering from you for you from over here and as i said we'll, we'll touch base closer to that time and um yeah just just checking on how it's all going beautiful mate looking forward to it all right brother i'll end that recording there